0: shine. Woo. Amen. The prophet Isaiah says, let your light shine for all the world. And that means right here. And, and while you all were singing today, I got this vision of the entire congregation doing that song. And, and I think I'm going to try that right now in a somewhat modified version. Okay. Uh, being the light is about doing and being And so what I'd like us to do Is you all get to do shine So let's try, let's practice right here Shine, shine, shine Let's keep going Okay, do, 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 do. Okay, B, B, B. Okay, now let's try it clapping Okay, now start your part Shine, shine, shine do, do, do. B, B, B. All together. All right, amen. You will not believe what you just experienced. You just experienced one of the weirdest moments in church history. <laughs> but we were all a part of it. And it's part of being fabulous. And no matter what your resolution is for this new year, we have a congregational resolution to be fabulous. And the first Sunday, we talked about what it means to be fabulous by carrying gifts of love and light to the world. Last week, to be fabulous meant to take a bath each day. (laughs) Now, if you weren't here last week, you might think that's weird. It's about remembering our baptism and living our deepest values moment by moment. And this week, To be fabulous means to live freedom now. To live it today, right here. To be fabulous is to live the deepest part of our faith. Between services today, one of you gave me a fabulous patrol patch. It's wonderful You can't really see it from where you are But it's just great I may find a way to put it on my stall Or something like that Because we are called To live our fabulous faith Moment by moment And together I know we can do it So let's kind of set up a scene here You realize that the most fabulous part of you Is the deepest part of you The part in you that sings A triumphant and joyful And creative and alive faith So you're sitting at Starbucks, fabulously drinking your coffee, and let's just imagine in this scene that suddenly, somehow, everyone in that Starbucks knows that you're a Christian. What do you think the feel in that place would be? Do you think that most of the people in that Starbucks would think you're as fabulous as you think you are based on the fact that you're a Christian? Well, actually, a professor decided to find out what the impressions of Christianity is among students. His name was Marcus Borg, and so he gave his students an assignment to write essays on their impressions of Christianity based on the Christians they knew. He gave this assignment over a period of three years, and he looked at the essays, and from those essays... Count of the five adjectives most commonly used to describe Christians. And let's just say fabulous wasn't one of them. In fact, this is what Marcus Borg writes and this is from his book The Heart of Christianity. He says they consistently use five adjectives. They write that Christians are literalistic, anti-intellectual, Self-righteous, judgmental and bigoted. So in other words, if suddenly everyone in Starbucks knew you were a Christian, based on these results, this is what they were thinking. Now now this may seem a little bit subjective. So this year, another study was done, and this study was done by the Barna Research Institute and what they did was they did research on people between the ages of 16 and 29 to find out their perceptions of Christians and to make it as objective as possible part of the assignment was to make these statements based on their experiences with Christians not what they just thought about Christians so David Kinnaman in this report says that these results are based on real experience with with real Christians. He writes, Here are the percentages of people outside the church between 16 and 29 who think that the following words describe present-day Christianity. 91% of them described present-day Christianity as anti-homosexual. Another 87% described Christianity as judgmental. 85% described Christianity as hypocritical. 78% described Christianity as old-fashioned. 72% described Christianity as out of touch with reality. 70% described Christianity as being insensitive to others. And 68% described Christianity as boring. So with those descriptions in mind, how many of you today in this place are between the ages of 16 and 29? If you are, raise your hand. Okay, I see about four hands, five hands over in this section, maybe ten hands in this section, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hands in this section, and about three hands in the sanctuary choir. (laughs) I think that what we're seeing is... About a sixth of the congregation today is within this age range. And yet that does not reflect the demographics of the age age range in the outside community. What that says to me is that these impressions are a reality which we are called to address as a congregation. If indeed we are to reach our community. In other words, let's put it this way if the outside community could tattoo us with their description of us, this is what the tattoos would say about Christians. Bigoted, judgmental, hypocritical, stagnant, delusional, (laughs) insensitive, and dull. Did you notice, be fabulous, he's not on the tattoo. What this says to me is that we are called to find a way as a congregation to redefine Christianity for our community. Christianity was meant to be a movement, not a religion. And so our call is to put the move back in movement. To once again realize that we are called to be a faith that not only changes the perception of the world, but changes the world that makes a world of difference. It's amazing to me that the perceptions of Christianity are the exact opposite of what Christianity is called to be. We are called to be loving, sensitive, caring, reaching out, a people of equality, innovators, innovators for a new world. And that's the actual legacy of Dr. King. The 60s were a fabulous moment for the Christian church. It was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference that organized together to ultimately change our society in some powerful ways. We still have more freedom to claim. There's still more movement before us. But that was a powerful moment for the church because people in churches everywhere looked inside themselves and found their courage to march for freedom. So the challenge before us is, how do we get there today? How do we put the move back in movement? How do we put the fab back in fabulous? We go back to our roots. In fact, the first Christians offer a powerful description of who we're called to be. A scripture from Galatians talks about the move and movement, the power of our faith. Hear this description.
1: Following the example of Jesus... The first Christians broke down social barriers. They disregarded religious taboos that judged people as ritually clean or unclean, worthy or unworthy, respectable or disrespectful. They subverted normal social hierarchies of wealth, ethnicity, religion, and gender in favor of a radical equality before God and with each other. Galatians 3:28 describes the values of the first Christians. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ.
0: Mm. We are called to the radical equality of God. That's freedom. And we are called to live that freedom now. And we're not creating something new. We're actually living the very heart of God as expressed through ancient scriptures. We're actually getting back to that place of life and freedom to which the early church was called. So more specifically, how do we make it happen? How do we live the values? I'd like to suggest a couple of approaches. First of all, the most difficult piece, but the most practical piece, is to live our values in the moment of choice. That is living freedom now. At every moment, even this moment, through our thoughts and through our actions, we are either moving more towards freedom or away from freedom. It's a choice. We'll be faced with that choice moment by moment just in how authentic we are about our daily life. It's how we get the message out there. It's how we change one heart at a time, move one heart at a time. Before you leave this place today you're going to have a chance to take a stand for equality in one way or another. It may be as simple as reaching a hand out to someone who you don't know and haven't met yet who may be of a different socioeconomic status than you are, of a different culture than you are and saying you are my brother, you are my sister and this is the ground upon which we meet and from this ground we move to be community. To be that light for the world, that epiphany, that love, the carrier of gifts, the people of possibilities. Dr. King made that choice. The people in those early congregations made that choice. I'd love to go back to the 60s and listen to some of the water cooler talk. I can hear them now gathered around the water cooler saying, are you sure it's time? Are are, are you sure we've, we've laid enough groundwork? If, if we move now, we, we, we might get knocked down by the, by the water hoses. We might get bit by the dogs. They might burn our church. Dare we make the choice now? And some of them said no. And some of them stayed home. But others made the choice and they got out there and they were out about their desire for freedom. And they said, I would rather die on the street and suffocate in the closet of captivity. And some of them did. Some of them did. But even when they died, they were free. And when Martin Luther King died, it was one of the most free moments in his life because he knew who he was and what he believed, and he made a choice. Rosa Parks faced a moment of choice. She could have moved back. She could have. But she chose to take her seat because she was tired. And something in her knew that even though she was tired at that moment, by making that choice, she was going to be more tired before it was all over. And she was. But she knew who she was. And she made a choice for values and principles and integrity in the moment of choice. And the reality is thousands of other people in congregations across this country also made a choice, a choice for integrity in the moment when they could choose freedom. And that's why what King did and what Rosa Parks did ultimately made a difference that we continue to feel today. Choice. It again goes back to our ancient faith. Our ancient faith is a call to make choices for freedom now. moment
1: by moment, the first Christians chose to demonstrate authentic transparency, not moral superiority or ulterior motives. Like Jesus, they exuded compassion rather than condemnation. In the moment of choice, the first Christians lived out of gratitude and not fear, and had a reputation for empathy rather than fault-finding. The first followers of Jesus were people of self-sacrifice, not self-interest. They insisted that God was like a tender parent, not a vindictive tyrant, and encouraged every person without exception to believe what the psalmist said. You have multiplied, O God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of your works, they would be more than can be counted. Mm.
0: They could make the powerful choice because they knew who God was, and they knew that God was where their freedom was. And if at some point this week you're struggling with a moment of choice, If you're deciding between courage and fear or integrity, revisit the psalm today, particularly this last line. You have multiplied, O God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards me. None can compare with you. (laughs) Were I to proclaim and tell of your works, they would be more than could be counted. That moment of integrity, that choice for freedom, is us living out these works of God, moment by moment, conversation by conversation, action by action. So make a choice for integrity when the moment comes, a choice for freedom. The second piece is to realize that freedom now is not a one-time thing. It requires persistence. It requires action following action. Small steps for freedom getting pushed back stepping pushed back stepping never giving up this year I'm so excited that in just a few weeks we're going to have the right to marry a week again and right here in this sanctuary will be the largest same-sex ceremony in the state of Texas maybe in the country but a few folks may be thinking didn't we do that last year didn't we do it the year before didn't that happen the year before why are we doing it again We're doing it again because our call and drive and hunger for equality, for marriage for all people is not a one time thing. We're not there yet. Marriage is not legal among GLBTQ people yet. So we will continue to have a ceremony every year until we are legally and spiritually recognized the value of our relationships. We will be persistent. We will not give up. We're going to keep on chewing on the rope that holds us back until we break through. We are not giving up. That chewing on the rope thing, i got a story about that. <laughs> when I lived in Seattle, where would that come from? When I lived in Seattle, uh, we were right there on Puget Sound, and sometimes these storms would come up. And a true story that happened there, this big storm came up, and there was a fishing boat, and it started taking on water, and it began to sink. Only two people are on that boat, they did what they were taught to do. They got the life raft out. They were in the life raft. And then as the boat began to sink, they felt this tug and realized that their life raft that was going to save them was attached to the boat that was sinking. And of course, the boat that was sinking was heavier than they were. So once that boat went under, even though they were in the life raft, they were going to go down with it. They realized they had no tools, no knives no way to cut this very tough nylon rope so what did they do they used the tools they had they took turns chewing on that rope took them an hour the big boat was about to go under and just moments before both of them would have been taken under with it moments before both of them would drown they broke through. They cut through the rope that was holding them back. They were persistent. They were determined. It hurt, but they kept on chewing. <laughs> and they chewed their way to freedom, moment by moment, persistent and determined. That's our call. We will not give up the call to make choices for integrity in the moment of choice that brings our freedom, and we will chew our way through to the liberation that is rightfully ours. And the good news is we're already seeing some amazing progress. I described, go ahead and get ready, Janice, I've got something for you here. Um, We talked about those descriptions at the beginning of this service of impressions of Christians. Uh, We're seeing some breakthrough on that right here. We have a youth group that started and... um, we had a report this week in staff meeting that literally blew me away. Yeah. Um,
2: it was pretty incredible. Jason Wood um, is meeting with our youth life group every every two weeks, and he brought back to us a story that just made all of our hearts kind of move and beat in a powerful way. <laughs> Uh, apparently last week when they hosted um, the parents group and fed us and then they took care of some of the kids while we had our parents group meeting, afterwards Jason took them into a room and they were going over their lesson, an MCC uh, curriculum lesson. And part of this lesson is where they asked uh, the teens, you know, have you gone to other churches? And they all said yes, you know, we've gone to other churches. And then the next question is, well, what, what is it about MCC that's different? And their responses were pretty profound. One of the kids said, well, everybody smiles at me here. And the next kid says, well, nobody judges me here. And, of course, the last kid said, I get to be myself here. So it was pretty profound that our teens have certainly picked up on us, you know, and, and, and how we are living out our Christian beliefs and our values.
0: Moment by moment, child by child. <laughs> right. And you are making that happen, and I believe that together, this congregation, this church can redefine Christianity for our world back to those faithful, ancient roots. And I'm going to play a little bit of a prophet today. I believe that as we redefine our faith and live our faith, when we reach this moment one year from now, and we ask how many of you in this congregation are between the ages of 18 and 29, but over half the people here can raise their hand and say, I have found life here and I have found freedom here. Amen and amen.